Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that is not what I normally talk about, but I find hearing people's stories so inspiring. And, you know, I'm a widow, so I like grief stories because I find like they're very, they're very helpful in, I don't know, building that resilience or knowing that it is possible. So when I um, had an opportunity to interview Annie Gudger, who wrote a memoir called The Fifth Chamber, she also has a podcast. Um, I jumped on it because I thought it would be just so interesting for you guys to hear. Let's just get out of the realm of anxiety and OCD and just talk about life, its struggles, and how do we handle and navigate those struggles? If you do have a child who is going through grief, or if you are going through your own grief as a widow, you're going to find her story very, very helpful. But regardless of whether you can understand this on a firsthand level, which I'm sorry if you can. Um, I think we learn from people's stories. We learn about about love, about strength, about struggles, and it's a great perspective. So in a minute, I'll be talking to her and having her share her story and her book and the things that she did and, and experienced. Before I get started, though, a couple of things. My AT Parenting Survival series is starting on Thursday. So if you're listening to this in real time, which is Tuesday, it will be starting very soon. It is survival tools for parents raising kids with anxiety or OCD. I do this twice a year. A lot of people take this free series every time I do it because it builds skills and it's free. And so people are like, why not? And that is the biggest compliment is when you see that people have taken this free series before <laughs> because I can see it when they join certain things. It will show me that they've already taken it multiple times. So I hope that you join us if you've never joined before so you can find some value in it or join us again. You just have to sign up at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. It is a low commitment. I will email you the videos as they come out. The series lasts about a week and a half and it all comes into your inbox and so you don't have to do anything. If you want to carve out time and really commit to it, I do open a temporary Facebook group for this series where I go in there and I do live classes going deeper on the topics that I bring up in the videos that you'll see, but you don't have to do that. Parents that do that get a lot of bang for their buck because their buck is free. <laughs> that makes no sense, but uh, you don't have to. You can still get a lot of value just by watching the videos. So again, sign up at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. It'll be going on for a little while. Let's see. It'll be going on until November 10th. So if you are listening to this a little bit late, it's not too late for the series because the videos are up the entire time um, as they get released. So check those out. I also want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They're available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. And I will leave a link in the show notes. The other thing I want to mention is that I did talk a little bit about my children's book. 
So if you're looking for resources, I would definitely check out Annie's book, The Fifth Chamber. It's a really good read, regardless of what you're going through. If you love memoirs, I do. I love memoirs. Um, if you want a children's book to help you, I did write a grief book for kids um, in the throes of everything else that was going on. That's what I do. And you can check that out at natashadaniels.com slash grief. It's called The Grief Rock. So without further ado, let's jump into my interview with Annie. Well, I want to welcome Annie to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm just delighted to be here. Yeah, I I enjoyed your book. We're going to be talking about grief and the journey of grief. And it's interesting to talk to you because you're so much further down the grief journey than me. And so I think there's so many young parents who are navigating grief that could really benefit from your expertise of just your lived experience of what that's like. And, and even having children or having a child not remember, you know, that grief and what that looks like. So I think that's a unique grief in and of itself uh, would be a great conversation. But before we get started, I'm wondering if you can just walk us through, and I'm sure that you're tired of doing this, <laughs> but if you can just walk us through a little bit about your journey and your, like your grief story. Absolutely. I was widowed when I was 28 and pregnant with my son, my first child, my husband died in a car accident on the way to go skiing. So there was no opportunity to say goodbye. There was no preparation, you know, everything, everything changed. So here we are, this young couple at the beginning of everything. We'd been married three and a half years. We just bought a house. My teaching career was taking off. We had everything, all our plans and dreams. You know, we planned to be together for a long time. And then he he died suddenly like that and everything in my world changed. Yeah, I think sometimes the the sudden death is a unique grief too. I know my husband suddenly died of a blood clot. So it was, you know, healthy the evening before and then I found him. And so I wonder what your experience is with that sudden shock and what that does to you. Yeah, it is, you know, I mean, I'm sorry that happened. And, you know, like in that, in that sudden, it really does send your body into shock. I, I think, you know, that the numbing in the beginning is like our, I always felt for me, it was my brain taking care of my body, right? Because here I was six months pregnant and I needed to continue to have a healthy son. And in the beginning, that was my biggest concern. And um, everyone around me was like, "How is the baby going to be okay? Is the baby going to be okay? Because I've gone from being my happy self to just devastated and in tears most of the time. It is, I mean, they're all hard. I was in a widow's group, which I write about in the book. I was in that group for years and I would listen to the women. We were a combination of sudden and and that you saw it coming. And, and they're all bad. That's what I'm just going to say, right? Because I used to think, oh, it would, it would have been easier. It would have been better. Like if he didn't die at the scene, if he didn't die right away and I'd been able to get to the hospital, but it it wouldn't have been, right? And the women, the women who had an opportunity to say goodbye to their husbands, that's still just a moment in time, right? Because you know, in your own loss, I always say that like grief is just saying goodbye over and over and over again. And just when you think you've said it, so many times you don't have more goodbyes in you. There's something else that comes up um, that you have to say goodbye to because when it happens to us so young, it's it's all the dreams and the possibilities too, right? That that's no longer an option. Um, and that's its own, that's another layer of the grief. I said frequently, like, of course his family was, his parents were devastated. Of course they were. 
but they didn't live with that daily like I did, right? They lived in Colorado. And so for them, they could. And they finally said to me, like, they just imagined that they hadn't talked to him for a long time, right? Where when you are the one up close, it's right there in your daily life. There's no denying that that person's not walking through the door. Yeah, I think that's well said because I do feel like there's something, grief is horrible no matter what. But when you have that intimate relationship where someone's entwined with your daily life, they're entwined with your identity, you don't lose that person, you lose yourself as well. You lose everything. And so it's, I couldn't even imagine being six months pregnant during all of that because the amount of physical trauma on your body and your brain is just so intense. And to feel isolated and alone during that period, I, I couldn't even imagine. I was jealous of your grief group though. <laughs> I was like, I didn't, you had an amazing grief support group. I did. And it's really unusual, right? So I actually went, there are widows groups and widower groups and people who are widowed, but they tend to be older. So I had gone to a widow support group and I was the youngster. I'm like 28 and everybody was, I don't know, in their sixties and seventies and older And I only went one time because I couldn't identify it's a different kind of loss. And I had somebody say to me, like, you're, you're lucky that you're so young, right? Because you can marry again. You can. And I just thought, wow, there's nothing lucky about being in this room. Yeah. And that I'm like, okay, you, this is, this, this group is not for me. And actually I was, I was super fortunate to find that group. The therapist, her husband was a pediatrician. And so all of it, it took me a bit to figure out, oh, everyone in this room, their kid goes to a pediatrician in that group. So the pediatrician would find out that the dad had died and recommend like for you, for me, that they go, they go join this group. And, and I write about it in the book. I didn't want to go. Like, I don't want to be part of that club. Right. And Jake's pediatrician, because I, we had to do weight checks for a number of weeks when he was born, because he was smallish. Um, Every time he'd ask, have you called Emily? And I'd be like, I'll do it later. And finally, one day he said, I'm going to have her call you. And I thought, yeah, right. No therapist calls. And she called me. And that's actually how I finally went and met her. And I'll always be grateful that I did. I'm still very dear friends with one of the women from that group. Yeah. What a thoughtful pediatrician. You know, I mean, like people going above and beyond and a therapist to call someone, you know, cold call them, I think is incredible too. Yeah. I did have a young group. I was gifted with a young group of widows. They just weren't at this point, like your, it seemed like your group was like, they were dating progressively. And the group I was in seemed like there was an expiration date. Like once you were a year in, it seemed almost, it felt uncomfortable to be there still because you kind of outlived that group. And it would, you know, it would be nice to have a group because I think what you're talking about is for our kids, we're going to get into your son in a second, but the grief doesn't go away. And there are like new ahas, there's like new losses all the time, like the epiphanies of, you know, I'm traveling, uh, you know, this, we were supposed to travel together or now, you know, planning for retirement. Well, that that's going to look different now. So constantly changing. Um, and you even talk in your book, the fifth chamber about the grief of, you know, having your son, you know, on his wedding day, you know, which I was like, oh gosh, that's true. That's going to be hard too. <laughs> it's like a lot of epiphanies. So I want to go back and we can talk about what you did to keep your husband's memory alive for your son who didn't really have a working memory of him. Well, I did. I mean, we, we kept him in our lives. I frequently referred to him as the silent third parent because he was part of our family. And, and we did that by telling stories about him, by, by saying his name, by um, acknowledging his birthday. 
he loved cherry Coke and German chocolate cake. So everybody knows still, like if I have a cherry Coke, it's because it's in honor of Kent. I never wanted it to be a surprise or a secret. So we talked about him regularly and I did my best like to also point out things to Jake that Kent would have really enjoyed. So he got to know more than, so he got to know more the person of him. And then the very, a very concrete thing I did was that I made a memory box for Jake when he was just a baby. And I packed it with all Kent things that I thought would be helpful when he was older. And I mean, you know, like in that first year of grief over time, I wasn't really sure what I'd even put in the box because I did it when I was so in my sadness, but I packed things throughout Kent's life that I thought would be helpful. So like his baseball mitts, report cards and pictures, his favorite geode, a mini motorcycle. He likes silly t-shirts. So I put some of those in. The most important thing I put in that box was his wallet, this just not fancy little leather wallet. And I always asked Jake, well, I waited till I'd written, I didn't want him to open it till he was a teenager. Um, I don't know why, but that just always struck me that this is for when you when, when you're older and we can have this conversation, Jake would all didn't, wasn't ready to open it until he was in his twenties. And when he did open it, we opened it together and it was a beautiful time for us to go through all the things and to tell more stories. And in the end, it was the wallet. Um, and Jake said to me, like, I, I need to carry it. I want to feel close to him. And he still carries it. Oh, I love that. I think sometimes there's a knee-jerk reaction with some parents to I mean, I've seen, and I'm sure you have too, just all different responses to grief when you lose, you know, the parent or your partner. And a lot of times people don't want to rock the boat. And so they're just like, I don't want to bring up this parent. I don't want to cause anxiety. Like, let's just move on. And some other parents, you know, can sometimes live in the past too much. You get, you know, the spectrum of anything because we're humans, but I do love how you kept his memory alive, even into your second marriage and having another child that he was so alive in your house. And I feel like I try to do that as well. And I feel like that's comforting for my kids. Like to, I mean, I must talk about my husband every day and it would be like something like now that they're two and a half years older, it's like they can get some, there's maturity. They can understand a little bit more about his personality or about his struggles or about who he was. Um, I felt like your book really highlighted that too. And I loved how you had a box that you kept for him to open. Those are like thoughtful things that I think are really healing. That was a very intuitive thing for me. I just had this feeling like, let's, instead of just when he's older, these are some of your dad's things. Let's make a box that I was very intentional that it would, that that box was for Jake. And I'll always be glad that I did it. It was, it was healing for me and for him too. Yeah. I've got areas. <laughs> I don't have any boxes. He, my, my husband actually kept his own box and I kind of kept that intact, but um, you know, you just like saving things. Cause you're like, you don't know. And it was like, uh, you know, your son didn't have that desire until he got older, but it was there for him, you know, to have that wallet and to go through those things when he was ready. Did you find that he struggled or he had different questions or issues at different developmental stages as he was going through grief? I would say so. I mean, um, and again, I write about this in my book, uh, around the box because I just always wanted to be open to what he needed right? Like we are for our, our kids in all the ways. And we, you know, we talked, we, we didn't have like, we're now having the serious, we're going to tell you more about Kent. We just tried to make it this very natural, easy kind of thing. Um, but when I would ask him, like, if there was anything else or if he was hurting around it, at one point he just said to me, mom, like, I don't mean to upset you, but dad is my dad, Scott, my second husband. Cause Jake was little when I married Scott 
And that's the dad he knows. One of my friends years ago said very smartly, like Scott is dad and Kent's his father. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that's, that is true. So I think his, his grief around it when he was a boy, like he hadn't really experienced it yet. Right. So the women in that support group, their kids were all older. Mm-hmm. And so when I was in that group, I was always looking at them because I knew like that was down the road for me. And Jake has come to it on his own. I, I would say more as an adult than as a small person or even as a teen, because of course, as an adult, he has a much stronger sense of what he lost than he did when he was little. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it just, it does hit them at different stages or when they are the age that their dad died or, you know, when they're having like their marriage or like, you know, their own child and they're looking at that face, you know, genetically. So I, I can see where those things will, will pop up. Yeah, so it's good to have conversations about that. In general, just reading your memoir, which your, your memoir is, is beautifully written. It's, it's lyrical. I almost feel like it's poetry. It took me a little while to get into it. Cause I'm like, this is like, like, it's a flow, you know, you can't, like, I didn't want to, you don't read it like a, it was a story. I almost felt like I had to like meditatively get into a flow and it really resonated with me because it was so accurate. I mean, just all the things I've experienced, it was just so accurate in, in your beautiful language and how you describe stuff. I mean, that scene where you're really angry and you're throwing things out in the, at the dump, at the dumpster. I mean, I had my own version of that, you know, at home where I just, I don't know what that, I don't know why people have that experience, but it's like, you just, this visceral anger uh, and purging, I think happens with a lot of widows. Um, So I totally get that. But I think for people who are listening, who maybe even aren't experiencing grief, but just have dealt with a lot of struggles with their kids or, I mean, life, I think everybody has struggles that bring them to their knees. And to me, the reoccurring theme throughout your book, The Fifth Chamber was the resilience. Like you had a lot of resilience, even if you maybe you didn't think so in the moment. Um, And I like the way that you kind of gone back and forth about climbing a mountain, because I think the metaphor is, is really powerful too, as far as that just that physical resilience. So I'm wondering if you can speak on that, like what things helped you through those rough patches? Yeah. I mean, for me, it is, I appreciate you saying that because it's all about the resilience, right? Like I have to tell the hard story too. So you know what I went through. So you know that I got through that and had a different experience, but it really is about being resilient and then offering hope to other people that that is a possibility. Yeah. The, the, all the backpacking is part of my backstory. I, that was, that's something that I've done and that I still do. And it really did build this like physical and metaphorical muscles. Um, I went on a 30 day wilderness backpack when I was 21, 22, that I wasn't physically prepared for, but then I got stronger during the course of it. By the end, I loved it so much. I didn't want to leave. And, and I say this in the book, like, I really thought that that was me stepping forward in my life as an adult and leaving some of the hard things of my childhood behind. And then in hindsight, from where I am now, I'm like, no, that was me preparing for what was coming. Yeah. And I really did so much of my early grief. I equated to being lost in the forest, not having a compass. Like I've been lost on a mountainside before, which was terrifying. And I survived it. Right. And, and, you know, like in that early grief, there's, you just feel so lost, right? We don't have a compass. Nobody gave us a map. How are we supposed to do this? People don't talk about it. How do we navigate it? And so that was a very natural, um, those memories for me came together really naturally because um, I I built so much of my psychic muscles by being in the woods. Yeah. 
And I, I think a lot of our experiences build that resilience that we're not even aware of until we are faced with a situation that we have to use that. I know it's funny because I used to have this the minute I met my husband, I started having this re- reoccurring dream of being lost, being away from him. And I couldn't find my way back to him. And it was like every night, like multiple times a week, not every night. And then as soon as he died, I never had it again. And I would say to him, I'm like, oh, you were lost again in my dream. And he'd say, well, you know, better to have bad dreams than a great life, than a bad life and good dreams, you know? And it's just funny how that switched. You know, I think your psyche almost knows what's coming and is like, let's just, let's just do some mental gym work at night and prepare you. No, I do. I, I believe that. It's interesting. So I want to talk about your writing in particular. What made you write your memoir now? It's been... 36 years, 36 years. Yeah. 36 years. Well, for one, I've been writing it for a long time. So it wasn't 36 years when I started writing it. Okay. Um, But it's a, it's, it's a question I asked myself regularly while I was writing it. Like, why am I, why am I writing this now? Cause it's a different, the earlier versions of my memoir were really different because I was younger and I was more in it than I am now. And, and I set it down plenty. I have lots of essays in journals and magazines and I love writing essays. Essays are easy. They're short. I can get my arms around them. I can get them, you know, a book is much harder. And I really would set it down, but I'd always have this nagging, like, no, I, I want to write that book. I want that book in the world. I want that story in the world so that other people can find some comfort there, can tell their own stories. This whole bu- building grief literacy really matters. So I just, I kept going back to it. Like it needed to be even when I wanted to set it down it's a beautiful end product. You know, I wonder if you found it therapeutic as you were writing it or going back to it. Cause I know ironically for me, you know, I had, I had a memoir already done a week before my husband died and it wasn't about grief. It was about social anxiety. And, um, I couldn't really pick it up for, I don't know, at least eight months. Your brain just doesn't even work. But then I wrote like a grief children's book, like within the midst of all of that, you know, just because my kids just couldn't find a book that was helpful for them. And so, but I found that I would go back to writing and I, even though my brain was mush, like it was so cathartic to just write, you know, and, and I almost felt like, and I wonder if you felt like this too, it's like your brain's a silo and you like want to capture all your memories because you know, they're going to go. So it became a little obsessive at first where I was like, there's an expiration date to my brain and I need to get it captured as soon as I can. Yeah. I like that. I, I really, I felt that way very much. I mean, at first, like I've always written, I love to write. So we'll start there, but my journal writing was really cathartic. That was like, I could say anything on the page, do anything, put it down, capture it. And I actually didn't start writing my journal right away because it was so unbelievable to me that that had happened. And one of my, I used to teach at the community college and my mentor was like, you need to start writing it down. I'm like, I don't want to write this down because this is this is somebody else's life. This isn't mine. Mm. She's like, no, honey, it's, it's it is yours. And then what I found as I started journaling, very similarly, like, it was my obsession. Like I wrote every day and I wrote every night and sometimes I wrote in the morning, but I always, I always spent time with my journal. And actually when my fabulous husband, Scott moved in with me, that was one of my, like, I got to have a different journal time of writing now. Right. Cause now I'm just not alone climbing into bed. Mm-hmm. Um, well worth it. Well worth it. The trade-off. But I do think that that journal writing is super cathartic. I encourage people to do it all the time writing my book was less so because for me, that was taking, it had a, an element of catharsis, but that wasn't the main thing. It was taking my experience in all those journals and turning it into art, which is very different from, from cathartic writing. 
It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, so we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's in nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. And your work is like poetry, like I said. It doesn't read like a typical memoir. It like the sentences are 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 beautiful and they the writing is unique. It's very unique. You know, it just it flows in a very like rhythmic sort of way. And I know like I took memoir classes and they were my my teacher was always like, memoir is not supposed to be cathartic. <laughs> you know, she was like, <laughs> you can't write cathartic. Like that's, that can't be your intention. Like, cause kind of her, her message. And I was not never a journal person, even though I'm a therapist, you know, and I, you know, suggest that as a coping mechanism, it was never my go-to, but I found it very cathartic to write memoir style journal entries for future to write it in. Cause I'd already written the memoir, but to write it in a memoir version, certainly not flowery like yours, you know, but there's some art in writing your story. It's like, it's a fun craft. And I feel like, you know, parents who are listening to write your story, you know, whether it's about your child with anxiety or CD or a grief story, or just your own personal traumas or your own life can be very, it could feel like you're being seen. I think that's how I felt. It was like your story's on a page and you get to kind of separate yourself from your story and and craft it like a piece of clay and um your book the fifth chamber really does that in a, a very elegant way and so i definitely recommend people to to read it just 
I always feel like I love reading memoirs, no matter what the topic, because I feel like maybe it's just because I'm interested in people, but you really feel like you get the essence of someone. And your your memoir was the first memoir I ever read that was like a cross between almost, I would say, poetry and art and a, and a memoir. And I love, I love, and I don't know if that's how you would describe it, but I like the hybrid. I'm very happy to have, to hear you describe it like that. Yeah. You never know. You never know. That was no, you just passion. never know. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a funny thing. Like I, um, there, there's plenty of poetry in it. I have not considered myself a poet. I've considered that I use poetic, um, aspects of poetry in my prose, right. That I wrote, write po. What? Okay. I'm going to say it wrong. Prose poems. That's more, yeah. that's more my thing. That is right. what it is. A, a prose poem is that is really, that is what it felt like. Yeah. So it was a, a different part of my brain that was reading it. Cause it was like, I was able to kind of glide through. And also I, I resonated with everything in it when you describe your stuff. So I wonder what advice you would give to someone who's kind of in the trenches right now, especially young widows who are going through that loss and feel like, like there's not a lot of hope or they just feel so heavy in that moment. Well, it does. I mean, in the beginning, it feels endless, right? And, you know, I'm never going to put a bow on it, right? I'm always, I always want to acknowledge that the pain is real, that the the hard parts of grief, it's really hard. And just to know that that you can navigate it and you navigate it in very small steps. You don't have to do big grand things. You just have to get through your day. And some days are easier and some days are super hard. And just to be kind to yourself, right? To give yourself grace that everybody's grief is different, but really like I, I think I said earlier, I hope I said earlier to really listen to your own voice, to listen to your own hearts. Because people, as you well know, people are going to give you all kinds of advice. Their intentions are good, but that advice is not always great. So, you know, I'm that's why I'm extra careful about the whole advice quotient. The advice I give myself is to live my life from my heart. Uh, and that works really well for me. But when you're in the thick of it, just to be kind to yourself to know that you can just navigate a portion of the day at a time. And one of the things I used to tell myself all the time is like a day only lasts 24 hours. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's a joy day or a sad day or anything in between. It only lasts 24 hours. So when I would have a super hard day, um, that was one of the things I told myself, like tomorrow's going to be a different day and this one will be in the past. Yeah. I like that. I think that is really helpful. I used to say, cause I'm only two and a half years into this journey. So I feel like I have a, I feel like it's still really raw, you know, on some levels, but um, the first year was definitely the hardest for me. And I would think that life was like a mosaic and it was just that one square, you know, it was just like, I'm just, today's a brand new square. It's like completely empty. And I just, I'm going to paint that mosaic. Cause I think you're right. Just getting, regardless of what the struggle is, just getting your foot in front of the other. And, you know, sometimes it's literally like, what am I going to eat today? Like I'd have sticky notes all over the house. Like, don't forget to pick up the kids. Don't forget to pick up the kids. I would forget to pick up the kids. I would forget to do very basic things. I would forget like, oh my gosh, I'm in my pajamas. I forgot to like dress today. And so I think I love your advice of just self-compassion. And in your book, I think your message of, and this was actually good for me to hear, was like that you can grieve and you can find happiness and that they can coexist. And I think it's a really helpful message for people to hear. Yeah. I think so too. I'm I'm glad that that resonated with you. And I think it'll resonate with a lot of people who are experiencing grief on that level. So where can people find you? I know your book, 
Um, it's called the fifth chamber. It's on Amazon. I'm assuming probably anywhere you can consume your books. Any place you buy books, you can find it. For me, my the easiest place is my website, which is angudger.com. The podcast is Coffee, Grief, and Gratitude. That's been a very fun thing to develop with my daughter. We also are on Facebook, Coffee and Grief Community. But that, it's a lot to remember. If you just remember my name and go to my website, that can direct you to other places. Okay. And your last name, I'll just spell it for everybody, but I will leave a link in the show notes with you know your website, your book link, and um, your podcast, which we didn't even talk about. Uh, your last name is G-U-D-G-E-R. So I will put links though, and I'll check out your podcast. That'll Thank be awesome. You. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for coming on. Oh my gosh. It was just a delight to talk with you. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope that you found that inspiring, helpful, interesting. Definitely check out her book, The Fifth Chamber. You can find that on Amazon or wherever you like to buy your books and check out her website and her podcast as well. Um, I hope that you're finding this podcast informative and supportive. And if you are, don't forget to rate it, hit a star on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher. And don't forget to leave a review because those greatly help as well. I hope that you learn to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday or maybe sooner if you join the free series that's coming out on Thursday. Don't forget to sign up at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.